All right, everybody, let's bring out our Bibles and turn with me in the Old Testament to the book of 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel, where we are continuing our study of David, as Derek pointed out earlier. 1 Samuel, the chapter is 17. I'm going to read the first 11 verses. It's a really long chapter, so I would encourage you, if you have a Bible, to leave it open during the sermon because I'm going to only read a portion of it, but I'll refer to much more of it as we go through. 1 Samuel chapter 17. Hear God's word. Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle, and they were gathered at Soko, which belongs to Judah, and encamped between Soko and Azekah in Ephesdamim. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah and drew up in line of battle against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on the one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side with a valley between them. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. And I'll talk about that later. He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. And he had bronze armor on his legs, and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron. And his shield-bearer went before him. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves, and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we might fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we do pray now that your Holy Spirit would come and help us understand this passage and apply it to our lives and leave here today to live more closely to Jesus, who is our hero. And we pray in His name. Amen. Uh, I want to begin today with a question. And the question is, how do you read the Bible? Notice I didn't ask, do you read the Bible? Or, in what way... What system do you follow when you read the Bible? No, I, I ask you, how do you read the Bible? Um, my wife and I have a little granddaughter named Mary. And we just love Mary to death. She's a little four-year-old girl. One day when we were with our grandchildren, uh, I heard Mary in the next room. And she was just babbling on, on and on. And I walked in the room... And I noticed that she had a book in her hands. And I said, Mary, what are you doing? She's four years old. She said, I'm reading. Well, I looked a little more closely, 
and the book was upside down. <laughs> of course, I didn't correct her. That's just, you know, too perfect. But she says, I'm reading. And I thought about that story when I asked you the question, how do you read the Bible? Do you know that many Christians do not read the Bible well? In other words, they treat the Bible as though it were a long series of lessons to help us have a better life. You know, if they want a better marriage, they read the book of Ephesians. If they want to be a better parent, they read the book of Proverbs. If they want to be more content, perhaps they'll pick up and read the book of Philippians. That type of approach. Or another way that I think many of us read the Bible is to treat it like a collection of stories about famous people that they've heard of, like Moses and Abraham and David and Jesus and Paul and many others. And they think as they read those stories that they are there to inspire us to be like those people. Many people read the Bible that way, but truthfully, that's not the best way to read the Bible. It's not what the Bible is supposed to be. Even though the Bible is a collection of a lot of stories written by a lot of different people, it's inspired by one person, the Holy Spirit. Even though it's those things, the Bible is about one thing. It's about the good news about Jesus Christ. So, when you open up the Bible and read it, whether you're in Genesis or here in 1 Samuel or Psalms or Jeremiah or Matthew or Romans or Revelation, wherever you are in the Bible, wherever you are, you know the storyline if you know that it's all about the good news of Jesus. Even if you don't understand the details, at least you know the big story. Every part of the Bible fits with all the other parts. And it's about one thing, how Jesus has come to rescue a fallen world and make all things new. That's the storyline. Even the Old Testament is about Jesus. Genesis is ultimately about, Je- about Jesus. Sure, it's got words about creation and a lot of different people, but ultimately it's about Christ. First Samuel, where we are right now is ultimately about Jesus. So is Esther. So are the Psalms. So is Jonah. And on and on we could go. The law, the prophets, and the writings are all about Jesus Christ. There's probably no story in the Old Testament that has been read so poorly as the one we're reading this morning. The story of David and Goliath. Most people read this story and they think it's about David and his courage. We read 1 Samuel 17 and we tell our children, See, children, see what a great man David was. If you could only try to be like David, you would be a good boy or a good girl. That's certainly the way it was presented when I was a kid, even by my Sunday school teachers. And when many preachers preach on this story, they say, Go out there and fight your Goliath. You know, be brave, be bold, trust God, and He'll help you conquer that Goliath of worry or that Goliath of depression or your Goliath of a bad marriage, whatever it might be. Take the five little stones of faith and slay your Goliath. Have you ever heard the story presented that way? 
after us. Now, it's true that God wants us to help us face our giants, but that's not primarily why this story is in the Bible. Why is it in the Bible? For the same reason all the stories are in the Bible, to reveal Jesus Christ. It's about Him. So, let me give you, at this point, a basic rule about reading the Bible. Remember, I, I told you earlier, I, I asked you the question, how do you read the Bible? How well do you read the Bible is what I was driving at. So here's a basic rule about how to read the Bible. When you're reading a particular passage, look for what that passage tells you about yourself and what it tells you about God. And if you read the Bible that way, it'll change the way you read the Bible. And you'll see Jesus Christ on every page the better at it you get. Ask yourself, what is this passage teaching me about me and about human beings? And what does this passage tell us about God? And that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to look at the story of David and Goliath and ask those two questions. What does this story tell us about ourselves? And what does it tell us about God? So let's dive in and answer the first question. What does the story of David and Goliath Tell us about ourselves. It tells us that we desperately need a champion. The story opens in verse 1 with some bad news. The bad news is now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle, and they were gathered at Soko, which belongs to Judah. Now, who were the Philistines? The Philistines were Israel's thorn in the side. For years, they've been public enemy number one of God's people. Now they're getting particularly aggressive. Here they are in Judah's backyard, and they're poised for attack. And the drama intensifies when we find out that the Philistines are holding a wild card, and its name is Goliath. Now you've heard all your life about Goliath, I suspect. But let's think about just in general who this person was. In ancient times, when two nations would go to war with each other, each side would often put forward one man to represent them. And they would call these individuals champions or heroes. In verse 4, Goliath is called the champion of the Philistines. You see that word there in verse 4? The Hebrew word champion literally means the man between two. Now remember that because I'm going to come back to that later. The man between two. And it's talking about an intermediary or a middleman. So what would happen in war back in these ancient times is that each champion would go out and fight each other as representatives of their respective armies or countries. Instead of all the soldiers charging at each other and killing and maiming each other and be total chaos, one person from each side would substitute for the whole. The idea being that the nation represented by the loser would become the servant or slave of the nation represented by the winner. And that's exactly what Goliath says in verses 8 and 9. Look at verse 8, the second half of verse 8 says, choose a man. This is Goliath speaking. He says, choose a man for yourselves, Israelites, 
and let him come down to me. If he's able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your what? Servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. I once heard uh, someone explain it this way. The champion didn't just fight for his people. He fought as his people. You see the difference? He represented his people as he was fighting. If he was brave, his soldiers were brave. If he was a coward, his soldiers were cowards. If he won, they won. If he lost, they lost. You see? Have you seen the movie Captain Phillips? Captain Phillips. Good movie. Tom Hanks plays Richard Phillips, who was the captain of the container ship Maersk, Alabama. And in 2009, the Maersk, Alabama, was on its way to Kenya when it was hijacked by four Somali pirates. The pirates demanded millions of dollars from the uh, shipping company, and when the crew refused the demands of the pirates, the, de- the pirates took Captain Phillips hostage, and they left with him in a lifeboat. In that movie, Captain Phillips is serving like the champion of the Maersk, Alabama. He is the man between two. See? He represents the crew in their struggle with the Somali pirates. If he dies, they die. If he lives, they live. Well, Goliath is the man between two in this story. The Philistines on the one side and the Israelites on the other. He is their champion. He's their hero. And he truly is an amazing specimen of a man. I mean... Listen to some of these things that we learn about Goliath. According to verse 4, Goliath is six cubits and a span. I told you I would talk about that. Commentators tell us that that's just over nine feet tall. Have you ever met anybody nine feet tall? I have not. Uh, But my wife and I were having dinner at Macaroni Grill down the road there a little bit in Oviedo one evening about a year ago. When we looked up and Taco Fall walked over with a couple of other people and sat at the table next to us, you say, well, who in the world is Taco Fall? Taco Fall played basketball for University of Central Florida a few years ago, and now he is with the Boston Celtics. He is seven feet five inches tall. Our eyes, we were amazed when we saw this guy walking in. And the whole uh, crowd in the restaurant were amazed at this guy. I think some people didn't even know who he was. Um, but we knew, I knew, he was Taco Fall. He's currently the tallest player in the NBA. He has a wingspan of 8 feet 4 inches. He wears a 522 shoe. <laughs> so that gives you a little perspective, right? King Saul and the Israelites, it says in verse 11, were dismayed and greatly afraid. <laughs> and you can understand why. The Bible goes into unusual detail about Goliath in verses 5 through 7, about what an imposing figure he struck. We read about, for example, his bronze helmet, his armor that weighed over 120 pounds, his bronze javelin, his 
spear had a weaver's beam with an iron point that weighed 15 pounds. Now, why? Why do we? Why are we given all these details about Goliath? It's to make sure that we see how small the Israelites were in comparison to Goliath and the Philistines. So, twice a day, for 40 days in a row, Goliath comes down into the valley and he challenges Israel to send somebody out to do hand-to-hand combat with him. Another man between two, if you will. And nobody will go. Nobody wants to do battle with this guy. They'd surely lose, they figure. So do you see it? Do you see it? Now, are you beginning to see how to read this story? The story about David and Goliath is revealing something very important about you and me and about all human beings. And that is that we, like the Israelites, need a champion. We're in the same boat as these people of Israel, only far worse. Every moment, you and I face dreadful and devastating enemies, plural, the world, the flesh, our own sinful nature, the devil, even Satan. I do, you should. He's real. We face him in battle every single day, and the odds are completely against us. To quote a song from Hamilton, if you're a fan of that musical, we're outgunned, outmanned, outnumbered, and outplanned. We need a right hand man. We need a champion. A hero. Someone who can be our intermediary, our middleman, our deliverer. Someone strong and invincible who can fight for us. No, who can fight against us. Otherwise, otherwise, friends, you and I have no hope. I have no hope. You have no hope. It is a losing battle if we don't have a champion. That's what this story reveals about ourselves. That's how you read this story. We need a champion. Second question. Remember, I said, how do you read the Bible? You look for what the passage tells us about God. So what does this story about David and Goliath tell us about God? It tells us that God has provided the champion we need. We met David last week in this study. In in 1 Samuel 16, the chapter just prior prior to this one, David was anointed as the future king of Israel. Remember that? By Samuel the prophet. Well, here in this chapter, in verses 12 through 15, the author refreshes our memory about David. So let me now read that little passage. We left off with verse 11. Let me begin now with verse 12 through 15. It says in verse 12 that David was the son of an Ephrathite of Bethlehem in Judah named Jesse, who had eight sons. We met them last week. In the days of Saul, the man was already old and advanced in years. The three oldest sons of Jesse had followed Saul to the battle, and the names of his three sons who went to the battle were Eliab, the firstborn, and next to him Abinadab, and the third Shammah. David was the youngest. The three eldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. And you probably know the rest of the story without me even reading the rest of this chapter. You've heard it many, many times, I suspect, most of you. But let me summarize it, and I'll put it in my own words. David's father tells him to take some food down to his older brothers who are in the infantry. 
and to bring back to him a report about how they're doing. Just like any good, wise, concerned father would be caring about his sons in battle, he wants David to go give them some food and bring back a report. So David leaves his sheep with a shepherd. He goes to the Israelite camp. He runs to the battle line. He hears Goliath shouting in his usual defiance. And he sees the Israelite soldiers running the other way. Nobody's volunteering to go face the champion of the Philistines. In verse 26, if you want to skip down the page there, in verse 26, David asks this question. What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? In other words, David can't believe that nobody from Israel is willing or able to, uh, to face Goliath. So in verse 32, he says to King Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of Goliath. Your servant, speaking of himself, your servant will go and fight this Philistine. And after initially objecting, you know, Saul says, No, 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 you can't do that. He agrees to let David go. He tries to put on his own armor and give David his own sword. But David says, no, no, these things won't work. And so, as you well know, David takes a, a sling and he chooses five stones from the brook and he goes down into the valley to meet Goliath. And then, and then David says in verse 45, just think, just try to picture this amazing scene in your head. In verse 45, here is David, here is Goliath, facing each other down in the valley. Their armies are on both sides, up on the hill. David says to Goliath, Goliath, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. And he puts a stone in his sling, he spins it around, he slings the stone straight into Goliath's forehead, he stumbles and falls to the ground, and David relieves him of his head with a couple of whacks with Goliath's own sword. What an amazing scene. But how do you read the story? Is it all about David? No. You read the story by saying that God provided a champion, a middleman, a hero for his people. And then we say, who does David remind us of? Who are we to see in David? Yeah, Jesus, of course. Because about a thousand years after David met Goliath in the valley of Elah, Jesus Christ carried his cross into the valley of the shadow of death and did mortal combat with his and your enemies as you Jesus, you see, is the man between two. He represented you on the cross. He fought for you. He fought as you. He is the mediator between God and man, reconciling us to the Father. He lived the life you were supposed to live. He died the death that you deserved to die. He is your See, that's why I said earlier that this story is not so much about David as it's about the son of David, Jesus Christ. Think of the ways, think of the many ways that Jesus points us to, 
to, I mean that uh, David points us to Jesus in this story. David was from the tribe of what? Of who? Judah. Sure. In verse 12, it says that. David was the tribe of Judah. So was Jesus. He was from the tribe of Judah. David was born in Bethlehem. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. In fact, Bethlehem became known as the city of David. David was a shepherd. Jesus Christ is the good shepherd who laid his life down for the sheep. David fought Goliath out of weakness. Jesus Christ went to the cross in weakness. He veiled his strength. He laid aside the privileges of his deity and allowed people to beat and spit on him and nail him to a cross. David's situation was laughable, really. In verse 33, Saul says, You're but a youth. You're just a boy. In verse 42, Goliath looks at David and he says, he, it says that he disdained him. David's got a sling in his hand and he's facing a man over nine feet tall, covered head to toe with bronze. Laughable, right? Well, they laughed at Jesus too. They laughed at Jesus as he was dying on the cross. There he was, hanging from the cross, and those below shouting, Ha! He saved others. Let him save himself if he's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. What a fool, they said. What a joke. Just like people said about David. And finally, look at what David says in verse 46. Verse 46, he says, This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head, and I'll give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth. Listen to this. That all the earth may know that there's a God in Israel. See, David had a worldwide vision of the glory of God, and so did Jesus, because one of the last things he said was all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. Jesus had a worldwide vision of the glory of God, just as did David. So let's begin to wrap up here. What have we learned? First, we've learned that uh, we've learned something about ourselves. That we're in desperate need of a champion. Someone who can fight and win our battle with the world, the flesh, and the devil and be our mediator between God and man, to be the man between two. And we've learned something, I think, about God, that He provided the champion we need by sending Jesus Christ to stand in the gap, to become sin for us, that we might have peace with God. Now, what do you do with this information? Do we just leave here and say, oh, yes, we understand now. No, we need to do something. It calls upon us for a response. There's only one way to prevail in life. There's only one way to do life, you might say. And that is by looking to and trusting in the champion that God has provided for us. That's the response that this story is calling for us to make. To put our trust in and look to the champion that God has provided. I want to show you something as we wrap up. Look at verse 37. Notice what Saul does in verse 37. Now, you know, Saul made a bunch of mistakes, right? You know that about Saul. But here is something Saul did 
right. Verse 37, David says to Saul, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. And Saul says to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. King Saul, who made a lot of mistakes earlier in his life and later on too, did something right here. He trusted in David. He said, okay, go for it. I'm putting my trust, my hope, my confidence in you, David. Just as you and I must choose to put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, not only at the beginning of our Christian life, but every single day. You must wake up every morning and say something like this, God, have mercy on me today. I'm a sinner, but I believe in Jesus as my champion. I am weak, but you are strong. I believe you love me, Jesus, that your life is my life, that your death is my death, and that your resurrection is my resurrection. I'm trusting Jesus in you. And then throughout the day, as things come up, as your Goliath come at you, you must say something like, I come against you, not in my name, not in my strength, but in the name of the Lord Almighty, who is my hero. The battle is not mine, it's his. I don't rely on my own strength, my own abilities. I rely on him. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame. I wholly lean on Jesus' name, on Christ, the solid rock, I stand. I don't know what you're facing today. Uh, We're all facing this craziness around us. We're all facing various trials and tribulations, some physical, some spiritual, maybe emotional, maybe relational, whatever it is. I don't know what it is in your life, but whatever it is, the secret of victory is not trying to overcome in your own strength. It's not trying to say, I want to be like David. No! It's not trying harder or ramping up your courage another notch. The secret is depending on Jesus, your hero. Will you do what Saul did in this case? Will you trust in Jesus, the one who is down there in the valley fighting your battles and guaranteeing that you will win in His strength, not yours? Let's pray. Father, we thank You so much for sending a champion our way. Someone who is so much stronger and wiser and better than we. Someone who will fight our battles. Lord, when we feel that we're all in defeat, we ask that we might get our eyes back on Jesus, who is the author and the perfecter of our faith. Help us, Lord. Thank you for tuning into Grace Church's sermon. We truly hope that the sermon edified you today and brought you closer to the Lord. For more information on Grace Church, visit us at gracearp.org. That's gracearp.org. If you'd like to visit us, our address is 1111. 
Tuscawilla Road, Winter Springs, Florida, 32708. Again, that's 1111 Tuscawilla Road, Winter Springs, Florida, 32708. We now pray that God will bless you as you go forward to bring his word to the world. And as always, we will see you next time here at Grace. Thank you.